welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Our favorite cow had a calf this week, which was great. She had a nice little Ayrshire beef Normandy heifer calf. Um, she's real cute. You know, I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a baby calf that was not cute. True. And yes, I know that all calves are baby calves, because if they weren't babies, they wouldn't be calves. But you know what I mean, like a newborn calf. Never seen one that wasn't cute, but this one is real cute. Extra spotty, I'll, I guess. Uh, I'll get some pictures. Yes. Yes. Other than that, finished combining beans, waiting to start picking corn. Uh, not a lot else, you know. Um, trying to get some fence run before the uh, weather gets even colder and, like, things are frozen solid and we can't. Um, yeah, other than that, nothing. Um same yeah. Oh, we've got tickets to see Charlie Barron's this weekend. For any of you who've been missing out, he's uh, a comedian from Wisconsin, most well known for the Manitowoc Minute. Google the video about seeing the neighbor's dog. That's a good one. Maybe I'll put up a link. Anyway, no, I mean, it's it's been real boring, which is good. Yeah, you know, we like a, boring. A boring life is a good life because it's yeah. uneventful. For sure. What's uh, What's been happening at your place, Arlene? So since we saw each other last, I got home from Wisconsin, which is good. It was a long old drive, but we were uh, traveling with another couple. So that was good. We got to spread it out a little bit. It's about 15 hours and then picked up our daughter at university on our way home. So we got her back for Thanksgiving weekend and they got an extra day. And then she took another couple of days doing classes virtually because, of course, there was another cow show that she wanted to attend. So it was the... Eastern Ontario, Western Quebec regional Holstein show that she wanted to uh, help out at. So we had a few heifers there. And so she stuck around for a few extra days. While we were in Wisconsin, this sounds really bad, but the combine came, the beans got done, and I didn't see even a little bit of it. But I believe that it happened. And someone else trucked them away and took them to the elevator. And like we've said before, we don't own a combine or a large truck. So we pay someone to do our beans for us, and they got harvested, and we're still farmers, even though we didn't actually have to uh, be here for that harvest. So that was kind of weird, but also pretty cool that that got to uh, happen without us. It also is convenient that the person who was harvesting the beans planted them in the spring for us, so they knew exactly where they all were, and it didn't really require uh, too much participation on our end. So soybeans are off. It always feels good to have some of the crops off the field and stashed away or that a check has come in for them which is pretty nice uh thanksgiving weekend happened um there were a couple of meals one at my mother-in-law's place and one at my mom and dad's so i didn't actually have to host anything and actually we went to my parents cottage for thanksgiving this is our second year that they've owned a cottage and our tradition that we started last year was doing the final swim so it had actually been quite warm the week before, but the day we were there was not all that warm. But a few of us went for one final swim, and then that week, I think the dock got 
pulled in and, and put away for the winter before the, the lake freezes, but we got our last swim in and got to spend some time together and spent some time being thankful for all the stuff. It's been a heavy week news-wise, I know, and locally um, in our own community there was a death of a young person that affected a lot of people and people in my family included, so sometimes it feels weird to say you're feeling thankful when you know that other people are suffering, but I guess that's it's also good to, to look at your blessings even when, when things are hard. So that's the way it's been this week. A time for reflection and thinking about where we live and why we're so lucky to be where we are. I don't know why, but sometimes it's good to be reminded. Yeah, I had to start having the chat with the kids this weekend about the fact that we live in the U.S. because we were lucky enough to be born in a place that isn't any of the places that have been big in the news this week. And that that doesn't make us better people or special or anything, but it does make us very, very lucky and that we need to remember that and help other people in any way we can. Um, Because there's a lot of people who, I mean, the, the U.S. has a lot of problems, for sure, but not nearly what a lot of other folks are facing, especially right now. And that's, that is something to be very grateful for. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have curling or poutine, so we're not Canada, but you know, we're doing all right. I was going to say, when I was to, to go from heavy to lighter topics, when we were in Wisconsin, there's curd everywhere. They offer you gravy on your potatoes. Why are they not combining and making, like, I just assumed that poutine would be available because they've got all the ingredients. They've got fries. They have curd. I had a curd burger at Culver's, but there's no poutine on the menu. I'm glad that you, I feel like they're I'm glad you out. got your curd burger. I was about to say that maybe you had missed out on that. Uh, for anyone who does not live close no, to Culver's. We went, we went to Culver's twice. Oh, you are living your best life, Arlene. Because we definitely don't have any. We don't have any anywhere close to us, so yeah, we were living at a uh, a curd burger is a cheeseburger, correct? But it is the slice of cheese is replaced with a giant ass fried cheese curd, just mashed right in yeah, on top. It was like a pat. The patty of cheese was bigger than the hamburger patty. There was more cheese yeah. than meat, which is my kind of yeah. cheeseburger. Culver's is very much known for their support of the dairy industry, and. Yes, and the frozen custard was yep. delicious. Yeah. All right. On that note, we'll go and talk to our guest for this week. So today we are talking to David Much, who's joining us from British Columbia. And Dave, we start each of our interviews with the same question. So this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we always ask, what are you growing? So that can cover crops and livestock, but also covers businesses and families, social movement, kind of whatever our guests are into. So we'll ask you, what are you growing? I am growing something of everything, it seems like. Um, On the big crop side of things, we're doing barley for cattle feed. We're doing hay for for cattle feed. We're also doing... uh, some alfalfa for our own cattle we also have a bunch of hay production that gets exported to japan and we lease out 
140 acres for export cherry production and so that will go around the world after it's picked in about 36 hours it can hit russia united arab emirates the u.s europe uh in no time we ship some to china at the end of the season so that takes three weeks so we are the last area producing cherries in north america at that time what else we have 30 acres of vegetables so that's uh pumpkin squash pickling pukes, strawberries, blueberries. That keeps us fairly busy as well. We try to have low in or labor inputs on those types of things just because the way labor is going right now. Mm-hmm. That's just for the operations that I manage. Oh, and we I look after a greenhouse for nursery and a flower shop. And at home, I have a mixed orchard and and vineyard, and I make wine and cider and vinegar, cider vinegar. And that sort of takes up all my free time. Yeah, that is a lot of different things, like you said. (laughs) So I'm going to loop back to some of those things. So the first thing that I'm wondering about is hay to Japan. How does... How does that work? Is there something special about your hay or is it about the geography of where you're located or or why is hay going that far away? Combination of both. We're located, uh, as I was saying earlier, we're about 10 kilometers from the Idaho border. And so for us, for, for trucking, we can get to Seattle without a lot of effort to export. We only have to go over one mountain pass. Only, yes. If we go to Seattle, it's one mountain pass. And I think if we go to Vancouver, it's eight. So it's considerably cheaper and the rates are less going out of Seattle. And it's a much easier drive once you get on the interstate. Um, one of the reasons for it is, is that we are close to the border and close to Seattle to get product out. Japan's one of the few places that accepts export timothy the the japanese tend to have a a stronghold on timothy seed a lot of the varieties are named they have japanese names so they control the seed market and now they've sort of want the hay for for livestock that they're producing i think there's political reasons that they want to sort of produce as much as they can in japan and then what they can't produce that can feed the country they can bring in. So they rather use the little land they have available for stuff that can go almost direct to consumer, which in a way makes sense. Um, and we are in a good location for growing Timothy. We don't have to irrigate. We have a high water table, so it gets it going. Although the last few years we've been in a heavy drought, which seems crazy, but we have been. And we make large bales and then we have a hay press and we just crush them down and stick them in shipping containers and off they go. Mm -hmm. So do you have to irrigate any of the other crops that you have that you were talking about? Yeah, we will irrigate. We don't irrigate the field crops, but we'll irrigate the uh, vegetables and the tree fruits and the berries and all those things. But the alfalfa, the timothy hay, and the, and the barley is is just left to 
to nature. Sure. Two years ago, we were in a severe, really bad drought, and we tried seeding in the spring. Or in the fall, that failed. We failed in the spring as well, and then we had to do it again in the fall. So we lost almost a year and a half of production on a, on a large amount of acres, which was really difficult. Yeah, I bet. And I, now I'm going to go back to the cows because we have lots of cow people. So what, what kind of, what kind of cows are we talking about? Cause everybody always wants We've to know. Got, uh, they're beef cows. Uh, we just have a small herd. It's just, uh, about 52 cow calf pairs and they're, uh, a red Angus cross and, Depending on the cross, depends on who you bought them from to start with. And I'm trying to just uh, keep it pulling. I switch out the bulls with different breeders every three years just to, to change it up a little bit and to go from there. So I'm a late calfer. We're still going right now. So I've only got a few left, but they'll go out to to graze here before the end of the month. And then they'll stay out until... Uh, the snow flies and once the snow flies then they'll come back and we'll feed them for the winter sure um, what else do we oh just for what else do we do i was just gonna say for our listeners we're recording in june but i'm not sure exactly when this episode's going to come out so i should provide that context and people in case people are listening yeah, later yeah. on and then they don't know what time of year First we're week talking of june. yeah that's right and so most of the the cattle are direct to consumers cut and wrap we have a local abattoir that's provincially regulated, so there's all sorts of requirements. If we had a, a, with our requirements here with a provincial abattoir, you can only sell within the province. And if you want to ship to the U.S. or within Canada, it has to go to a federally inspected facility. And one problem we're facing throughout the province is the availability of meat cutters. There's just a huge shortage of qualified meat cutters and facilities to to handle the, the volume. And it seems like now, within the last three years or so, that the price in the grocery store for beef has gone up, that it's almost comparable now to the locally produced grain fed or grass finished beef that, that's available. And... Um, the consumer seems to be coming around, you know, three, five years ago, they would have laughed at the prices and now they're like, you know, we'll take this and that. And we try to offer specials, like if you buy so many pounds of hamburger, you get it for this price. And if you buy more, then you get a better discount on sure. it. But I think on some of it right now, we are lower than if you buy a large volume, like 20 pounds that were cheaper than the single packages at the grocery stores. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's a positive for the consumer and for the producer. I think so too. And I know that we sell a little bit of beef ourselves. I'm on a dairy farm, but we sell a little bit of our own cows that we get processed. And and people who've never had kind of homegrown or, you know, like a more local yeah. product who've only ever bought from the grocery store do, you know, really notice the difference and are surprised by the difference, I think, a lot of times. Yeah. And I, I think for us, one of the big things is just finishing consistently and, and just knowing that it's time that, okay, no matter how much more you're going to feed, there's no gain and they're not going to get that fat and you just got to get it over with. Yeah. 
I don't know what the rules are in the states, but for us, we have. Well, it's encouraged that you kill by thirty months because of mad cow, and then if you kill an animal that's older than thirty months, then you got to keep its like backbone, its spine for specified risk of materials. And I know in the past there's been some problems between the two countries on exporting cattle and importing cattle, but that's it's just how it is right now. And so we we but we do try to just finish them before the 30 months just to get rid of that because you got to save them and then you got to we got to ship them out of province to be disposed and it becomes a huge hassle and more costly than uh, than it's worth so um are you grain finishing or grass we do both depending on the customer and so i've always got a little bit of uh grass finished animals just getting that and then the other ones are are getting grain just uh, there's not a whole lot of demand for the grass at this point and it takes a little bit longer to to get to that weight for me anyways and so the 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 barley finished is is much easier on me to to do sometimes we'll just grow uh cow corn and then we'll just bale it and feed that too and just to supplement them but it seems like it's more work than it than it's worth at the end of the day but with the corn, we find if it's seeded heavy, it cleans up some dirty fields really well for us and chokes out some weeds. And then do you find the red Angus to be as nutso as the black Angus tend to be? Well, that was a problem. <laughs> and uh, I, I, whenever I go out to the field to check on my weight to see which one pops their head up, and that's probably the last time they pop their head up, and they're... Uh, they're dealt with accordingly, but um, they are, uh, right now, I, I don't have any animals that I'm overly concerned about that are going to be overly aggressive just because, you know, I go out there and I'll have friends come out or we've got staff that come out or they bring their children out and you just, you don't want to have that risk with them. And so if there's any sign of it, then it's just time for them to leave. Not this January, but the January before I was out feeding, I guess it was in January, and four of them just ran me over, and that was the last thing they did. Yeah. And, yeah, they were toast. That was their last moments. (laughs) But you you can't have it. It's just not safe for for anything, my own well-being and anyone else. I'd feel bad if staff got hurt. or So I was glad it was me, but I'm still, you know, you can't have you can't have animals like that. Mm-hmm. So Dave, you've mentioned that you're managing a facility and then you have your own. Can you tell us a little bit about the the land that you're managing and who you're managing it for? Or kind of the, the history you, of your, the farm that you're working on? Okay, just quite a bit of history. Sure, I, yeah. I, worked for, <laughs> I worked for Lower Kootenai Band, which is a First Nations community. And um, they were... I guess the crown, the, the federal government and the queen gave them X number of acres. And at the time when they were handing, handing out the land, this was underwater. And in the early 1900s, 1936 through the 40s and 50s, they started putting diking in on, on the flats and, and draining it so that it was 
able to farm. But I think at the time, the government sort of thought, you know, here's a bunch of crappy land. You guys can can use it as as you like, but there's not much value or, or use to it. And then over time, Ducks Unlimited sort of got involved with putting in, in dikes and ditches and draining parts of the valley just for, for farming and designated wetlands. And so over over a period of time, it's been, uh, as trends have come and gone, you know, it used to be Timothy Seed and then it was canola for a brief period, but the closest canola processing facility is five hours away. So by the time you ship it, you're, you've sort of lost all your profit that was involved. And then we, we started doing this uh, hay and Timothy export and it was uh, it's been really profitable and it's showing uh, that it can be done and we try to use the fields on a rotation so when they're done their five years of, of Timothy we'll try to put some barley in and graze them and clean them up and then a following year or year and a half we'll reseed them again and, and start over on the, on the Timothy so that's, or with alfalfa, but that's a longer time in the ground for, for us here anyways. And the barley's just a one-year thing, so we'll underseed to, to grass as well for, for grazing on the timothy for that uh, one season and have feed for the winter on the barley to fatten them. But it's, so it's, it's a, a challenging position because some of it's leased out, so you got people that are leasing it that have certain demands and then you have a community that's invested into the ownership even though it's not owned by the actual community it's still owned by the the crown and the government so there's no opportunity to to go to the bank and say hey look this land is worth x dollars now we we need a loan to buy more equipment or or what have you so that's kind of a a difficult situation where it's been given but you have no ownership of it they can change it at any time and you have differing interest within the different community members you know they'll want to see more cows or less cows or they want to designate more land as designated wetlands and so you have to decide you know how much do you want to give up or which fields do you want to give back to to wetlands which is um i struggle with that a lot because uh, once we sort of switch it to wetlands we can't even graze in it anymore and a lot of the research says that you know grazing in, in certain areas of wetlands or wild protected areas are, can be beneficial on getting rid of noxious weeds and promoting the growth of other vegetation and other wildlife as well so it's a it's a bit of a struggle in that sense but there's all sorts of different interest in it and I try to keep the peace as best as I can and every once in a while I just lose my mind <laughs> and it's and I think part of it too is just it's um for us with or for me with I got so much other stuff going on too that it's hard to find all the time necessarily in a day and I'm I'm not at home a lot, so that's hard too. Yeah, I. It does sound like there's there's a ton going on. When you talk about employees, how I mean, I know some of it would be seasonal, but kind of in over the year, how much how much help do you have or not have, <laughs> depending on on what crops Let's are coming. Say in? Like 
Like right now, we probably got 20 people up at the greenhouse operation, probably five um, at the flower shop. Right now, we just started cutting hay last week, so we've probably got 10 there, and there'll probably be a few more coming on in the next week or so as we start cutting more, moving it and storing it, and then pressing a bunch to get rid of last year's stuff that's still there to get it out so we have storage and then I'm not overly involved with the cherries but I do answer questions and so forth and we're probably at when that when we start picking end of July or so we probably have 150 staff yeah for, for that yeah picking about an acre per person is kind of what you figure for a year and it's you know you, you look at an acre and hopefully we get 15,000 pounds of cherries an acre is would be a good crop for us Dave are those sweet cherries or sour cherries those are sweet cherries and they're um, there's all sorts of different kinds 20 years ago, the latest variety was called a Lapin. It was invented by a, a, a fellow named, named Lapin, so they named it after him. But that used to be the latest cherry. And then the research station we have here in British Columbia is in, in Summerland, which is in the Okanagan, so just north of your Okanagan, but spelt differently. And uh, it's a federal research station, so every time they release a new variety, it tends to be later and later in the season. And they're all named after Lapin. They all had S names. So just so you can have an idea of where it came from, kind of like your Rainier or uh, Mount Vernon Research Station, they named their raspberries and strawberries, I believe, after First Nations communities that are around the area. So it's um, same kind of idea, except we just pick names that start with S and go from there. But yeah, sweet late season cherries is, is what they are. So... And, they want them to be later and later every year. So, you know, we're kind of pushing for us, like, September-ish and go from there. As someone who's a, a... Oh, go ahead if you need to... Oh, no, they uh, just threw it under the door. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> as someone who's a huge fan of sweet cherries, which we do not grow in Iowa, sadly. Um, yeah. How... What is the limit for how many cherries you can eat before you regret it? Is this something you can like train uh, up to a higher for level? Everybody, but for me, it's about for me, it's one day of eating cherries and then I'm done for the season. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I've had enough, and I carry on. But like um, a lot of the cherries for for you guys will be coming out. Uh, they'll want to hit Costco and all the grocery stores for July Fourth weekend, and that sets the price about the first three weeks of, of the cherry season as they hit the market and then now we used to be latest in the North America but now you have like Washington and Oregon and stuff and they're just planting at higher elevations so they're extending their season with the cooler cooler spring really they're delaying ripening I suppose maybe having and the limiting factor oh pardon me said I suppose maybe having acres and acres of tree ripened cherries at your disposal reduces the uh drive to gluttony 
that I find it myself yeah, when they are good. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you see them oh. on the first day, you're like, oh, this is great. And then the second day, you're like, just get off the trees. Yeah, I suppose it's probably like sweet corn in Iowa. That first week of sweet corn in Iowa is chef's kiss. But after that, you're just like, yeah. wow, corn, great. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, then you, and you're like, what do I do with yeah. this? <laughs> oh, boy, somebody yeah. brought more corn. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Super. But, like, the one difference between us and Washington and Oregon is where we're located, there's just a very limited amount of land. We're tucked in between two mountain ranges. So our our acreage is reduced that's suitable for cherries, and our land prices are, are really high to recover that cost, depending on where you're located in the valley. So did you grow up on a farm or in agriculture, or how did you... How did you end up with the... Uh... Oh, man. I was in grade three, I guess, and I decided I wanted to be a farmer. And uh, my, my dad was a school teacher, taught high school, and my mom was a school teacher, and then she quit after I was, I was born, and then she did a home daycare. But grade eight rolled around, and I was told I had to get a summer job, so I got a job in a orchard, and I did that all through high school. I would do the summers, and I would, I guess I would start about Easter and, and finish it, thanks, Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in October, and uh, so yeah, I'd go March or April through till mid-October doing that, and then when I would come home from university in the summers, I would go back to the same job. And then I finished my last year of university. I, I worked at our local brewery for the summer because it paid a few bucks more. And uh, <laughs> and then I uh, finished university and I and I got a job right away. But it was really strange. Like in grade eight, my mom had to drive me to the job interview because obviously I, I was one of those kids that wasn't sixteen in grade eight and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was finishing my last year of university, I realized I had to find a job. So I um, applied for a job, and they wanted to interview me, and, and they uh, flew me out. And so it was, like, so crazy. Like The last job interview, I was, like, 12 or 13, and then it's 10 years later, and they're buying you a plane ticket to come and visit with them. And, uh, yeah, it was just crazy. As far out. So what did what did you study in university? I got a degree in, in horticulture technology. Okay. So pretty much just general plant science at the time, I would say it was. And kind of, you know, more on, say, nursery production and, and the horticultural co- crops and some turf grass and things like that and berry production and and it was more, uh, I guess, prairie-based at the time. So it was more extreme weathers and some greenhouse stuff, but just, I guess, general chemistry on certain things and, and, and a lot of statistical analysis, which, you know, I hated math. And then you take these university classes at an agricultural school and it's actually examples are set so that you understand when you're going to use it instead of just sitting in a math classroom going this is asinine i'm never going to use this to 
And I can see how this is applied now. So I did quite well with that, but if you would have put me in math class, I would have, I would still be sitting in math class. <laughs> yeah, it does make a difference if the uh, the application makes sense to your brain, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you can figure out where you're actually going to use it instead of just yeah staring at it, going, "Oh yeah, this is yeah. wonderful." Who's who's ever going to do this, right? Like, I'm not going to land somebody on the moon, but maybe I can tell you which block of cherry trees is really declining quickly without actual visual evidence. Mm -hmm. So what was your first job then? I'm guessing you weren't, uh, you didn't start out where you are right now. My first job, like no, in like, high school or so when I So did you go from university to working with <laughs> the band or were you, was there an in-between there? I, I, I went from university to working for a massive uh, international liquor company. Um, for us anyways, we have a, I guess, growing wine industry in British Columbia in the Okanagan Valley. And I went to work for uh, Mission Hill Family Estate. And you guys probably know them in the U.S. as uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade and White Claw. I have enjoyed and their so, products more than once. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, he owned a winery in the Okanagan. And when I joined, they had just done a few years of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and um, since then he's expanded. He owns multiple wineries now. He's brought in White Claw and all sorts of other products as, as well. And so yeah, I, I went from university to got this job, and uh, it was crazy. And it was like I did it, and I signed my contract and stuff, and. My dad said, well, how much do you get paid? And I, and I told him, and he said, no, really, how much? I said, you know, that, that's what I get paid. And he goes, and he had just retired. This was 2001, and dad retired in 1999. And he said, you know, that, that's more than I made after 30 years of teaching. I said, I don't know. They just gave me this piece of paper. I read it. I signed it. I thought it looked good. And he goes, yeah, that's really, really good. I said, I don't know. And it was just... I didn't know. I was really young. It was my first job out of university, and I just wanted to work. I had to pay bills, and you know, it was it was crazy. I bought a house my first year, paid off all my student loans in six months, and it was like, and and we had like at that time, with being in the alcohol business, you know, there was just unlimited amounts of fun to be had. Like it was just, it was really far out. It was, it was a good experience. I wouldn't change it, but you know, I probably should have paid more attention at the time to the people I was meeting and who was coming and who was going. And but you're young, you don't know. You don't. You can look back on it twenty years later and say, yeah, maybe I was too young or, or something like that. But so yeah, I got this job working for Mission Hill Family Estate, and at the time they were the largest privately owned uh, winery in the Okanagan and I think now they're like the largest privately owned liquor company maybe in North America and the, I think they're the number three or four producer of alcohol in the, in the states like behind Budweiser and those those types at this point in time but 
it's ironic now they're they're my neighbors here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they bought the property next to me. It was far out. So what instead of riding that that train forever, what what made you leave? What was the the call to to go and do something else? Oh, I don't know. Um I ended up having a kid and uh it just happened and she didn't live there so I thought you know I was getting sick and tired of driving so I up and quit and left and then I uh, got a job I had to find a job I guess at that point and so I ended up working for the uh, federal government as an ag inspector and then uh I wasn't a very good government employee. And, um, <laughs> it's not for everybody, It's hard. Right? It's hard. No, and it wasn't for me. And I, uh, I did it for eight years, and then um, there was a buyout program, and I kind of just said, I'll do it. I'll take the buyout, and my family thought I was crazy, but that's all right. And um, the guy that I had taken over from, I got to know him and stuff, and he said, you know, if you stay for 10 years, you're never going to get out. And so I thought, oh, I can't keep doing this. You know, I mean, everyone thinks, though, the government pays really well and you get a pension and you get benefits and everything else. But there's a lot of stuff you don't get from it, too. Like, you got to show up on time and you got to take your two 15-minute breaks. And if you take them at the wrong time, you know, everyone else gets upset with you. And it's like, I just want to get out of here. I just want to show up and leave and don't talk to me. And it just wasn't for me, so... So that's why I ended up leaving the uh, the winery and vineyard job. Was it a good decision? I don't know, but it's, you know, maybe I could have held on and done it for another couple of years. And I was looking back on it just a couple of days ago when I was watching the neighbors there working away, and I was like, I could have retired if I would have stayed. Like, this would be my last year. And then I'd be like, then what would I do? And then it's probably like, I'd still be doing the same <laughs> yeah, bloody that's thing. that's right. You'd be right, right where you are. I would have just retired. Yeah, yeah, I'd retire and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then what, right? Like, I'm still kind of young to retire, so it's, i got to keep busy and then, but yeah, no, it was, a, it was a weird thought to think, you know, like, I would be retiring in, uh, yeah, if you're on a di- different path. I'm yeah, not that, that's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it's not happening at so, all. So I know you talked. A, you mentioned a little bit about the, um, you know, the dis- decision making and the, the different people who are involved. I was wondering, you know, that both Katie and I are from multi generational family farms, and that comes with its own, you know, challenges and and opportunities, yeah. obviously. And I know your situation is different, but I'm thinking there's probably would be some similarities in terms of, you know, like different people have different priorities and and you end up having to kind of manage what other people want to do and what you want to do and what's, what's also logistically possible. So how, how does that work at a, I guess on a, in your role and at the band level? So are there, are there other people who kind of dictate how the farm is going to be run and then you get told what to do or do you have a lot of autonomy in terms of of your role or what does that look like in terms of decision making and distribution of labor and that kind of stuff 
So we're set up. We have a chief and council, and there's five five members, and there's an election every two years where a certain number of board or chief and councillors are elected. So the chief election is every four years, but at that time there's three positions up for election. And at that time, the person that gets the most votes becomes chief. So you don't necessarily run for chief. You you just get it based on if you get the most votes. And so it's, and if you don't get the most votes at that time, then you just become a counselor. And we, for us, we, we the chief, we, we call Nasukin, which is the traditional name for it because of, the chief was just designated by the, the settlers and by the, the federal government, so we try to use Nasukin. Um, so there's the five members. There's four councillors and, and the chief, and they have a, a council every two weeks, and they have a, a schedule sort of of what's discussed at each, each meeting. There's an agenda. We have a COO that chairs those meetings as well and, and she's an employee like I am employed by the Lower Kootenai Band and in Canada the, the First Nations communities they're almost considered a federal government as they get funding from the federal government and so a lot of our stuff is loosely based on on a federal government organization where the funding comes in and has to be used for certain projects or certain things, just like a municipality or, or a town. And we also get some funding from other areas, but the, uh, Nisukin and council, they'll say, okay, this year, you know, we want to focus on maybe fixing people's driveways for the community or getting everyone a new wood stove or something like that, or we want to increase the amount of uh, cattle in the herd, or we want to increase the amount of hay that we're selling just domestically. So then you you figure out which hay or how to increase your, your herd accordingly, or, or maybe, you know, just little things like we want more tomatoes out of the garden this year. And you say, it's not, it's not possible. Like we don't have the labor to pick yeah. them all and to store them that we can, we can save money and just buy them from someone else that's growing them down the road or, or those sorts of things. And then a lot of it is determined by, by chief and council. And then a lot is determined just on how much manpower is available. And it's getting harder and harder to, to find people. June 1st, our minimum wage went up here as well. So that's really tough. Like it just went up to um, 1675. And so that was a dollar and 10 cents. That's a, that's a big jump. Yeah. From last year. And, and uh, I struggle with it because, you know, I, I might have hired someone three years ago that's worked hard to get to 17 bucks. And then, you know, every year they see new staff is already getting an extra dollar on top of where they they were. And so you're, you're just working it up. And, and so that person that worked hard to get to 17. Yeah, you got to bump everybody up then. Yeah. They, everyone else gets a, a raise at the same time. But 
that's that's a hard one right now and you know i think the government i understand they want to have people making a living wage but i think there should be a, a graduated scale you know if it's an entry-level job and you're under a certain age you work 500 hours then you can move up and as you learn those skills and acquire that ability to show up on time. Yeah. Yeah. Even like a, a student wage option, right. For, yeah. For the people who. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if you're 15 and living at home, you, that, that 17 bucks is, is really nice, but you don't have any skills. You still, I still got to call and ask <laughs> yeah. if you're coming. Maybe even call their mom. Just, just, just tell me you're not coming in. I can carry on with my day. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of, internal and external forces determining the path that we take and, and part of it too is just the uh dynamics i think of uh, a, a government organized operation is is never yeah super yeah because yeah your your priorities and where you your vision for what you think is going to happen in the next year if someone somewhere else decides you now have different priorities you, you can't yeah. always plan for that from one year to the next yes. or one month to the next yeah and and so that that can be a challenge but it's like i just never know some days really what's going to happen or how the day's going to go and I try to get to work before everyone else just so I can have an idea of what we will do. And it can change yeah. in a heartbeat, you know. And for jobs on the farm, we community members get first first opportunity regardless. And so we'll put the posting out and whoever applies from the community gets gets a position. And then positions that aren't filled go out to the general public and the community at large and so like we're located in in like the Creston Valley and so the the town proper is about 5,000 people and then the surrounding area is about 15,000 but it's it's a large area that we extend into as, as well um the other weird part is we don't change time. So that's always a hassle when I leave town, depending on if it's summer or winter. I got to remember if I add an hour or take an so hour. So just off, within your the territory where the, the farm is and the community is, is its own. Yeah, within a half an hour, it changes. And then even when we look like up 10 kilometers from the Idaho border, depending on the time that you're there, now, <laughs> right. as well. So you can never really trust your watch. No, no, and you have had a tough <laughs> yeah. time too. So that's these a digital one, <laughs> but no. So there's all these little things, right? And where it's just sort of like I try to just go with it as much as I can. But then some days it's like this is what we have to get done, and we got to do this this week, and that sort of thing. But it's yeah it's like like all the the usual stress of farming but you you have a a lot of extra 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 stresses to to throw in there on top of it yeah personal Mm -hmm. interest and you know some people like community members will just want you to grow like one row of something and it's like that's fine but who's gonna come and pick it because i'm not or I'll get it harvested, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not bringing right. it to you. I don't think I've ever been so grateful for only having to deal with my in-laws <laughs> and my husband. 
because at least there's only four of us. Have you found any uh, particularly successful approaches to dealing with having that many people uh, giving their opinions? I mean, I know how stressed I am about three people's opinions plus mine. So, you know, anything I can boil down into... I think one thing is is that I'm pretty easygoing, and I can just sort of go with it as it as it unfolds. And I try. You you can't take it personally, and you just have to try and lay out your reasoning why that is not going to work or why it's going to work, and you guys got to go with that direction. And or if you know it's not going to work, you just do it anyways and say at the end of the year. <laughs> Here's the report at the up. end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't work, and, and and this is this is why. And and you know we didn't. We could have done it differently, and and this we can do it like that next year. Even on growing the vegetables, I I come up with this three year plan that I'll grow it for three years, and if I can't get it to improve after a little bit each year for three years, then it's toast. And then it gets tossed to the side like we were doing sweet potatoes and yams and we just had three terrible years where we couldn't get the proper plants or they came to us and they were too big and I just said that's it you know we might return to it one day but at this point it's it's dead in the water and so but it is yeah it's super stressful sometimes and I try not to let it bother me but you know like Right now it's tough because we're calving and we're doing hay and I'm trying to look after my place too. So I aim to be home for 1 a.m. And I'm not super popular. (laughs) Like I'll get home. I'll try to get home about 6 o'clock, do some work at home. Then I'm probably back out again at 10 for a while and try to have dinner in that time as well. Get out, and then I try to be out and about in the morning, about six or so, and then that gives me a couple hours to do my own stuff and to get ready for the day before staff starts showing up. And for us too, like doing hay, it's really hard to start doing it first thing in the morning because we have so much humidity that we got to let it dry out first. So that's a saving grace right now, but. We can also go pretty late into the evening on the hay, depending on on the weather conditions and the humidity in the air. And right now it's been pretty dry, but it looks like after Thursday it's going to really turn to a damp session for about 10 days, which is not looking positive on any of the crops. So with the, uh, the orchard and vineyard, what are you making? What all? Um, with the vineyard, I I'm growing Pinot Noir, three different clones. Um, probably not important, but clone one one five six six seven and seven seven seven. And when I worked for the the winery for Mission Hill, I uh, got sent away. They sent me to New Zealand for six months to look at Pinot Noir in the South Island 
which is probably one of the top New World regions for, for Pinot Noir in the whole world. That in Oregon, I guess, at this point in time. And uh, the winemaker at Mission Hill at the time was from New Zealand, so he had all sorts of connections. And off I went, and I spent most of my time at one of the top producers, and I just looked at Pinot Noir, I guess, every day for five months, and I spent a month in Australia at meetings on water management and all sorts of other stuff. But um, so when I left the winery, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> Famous last words, right? And, <laughs> and I searched. And I searched, and at that time there was only one vineyard winery kind of planted in Creston and growing up I grew up here as well so I returned home um growing up I working in the orchard and, and stuff like that through high school and university I I guess like every kid you kind of you experiment with drinking and you have like wine coolers and it's like oh this is peach yeah we can grow peaches here why doesn't someone do this kind of deal and then one of the, the cherry growers, he, he decided to try it, and it was successful. And so I went on a search for property. Growing up, there was always this one piece of property I liked, and it was just covered. It was a hillside, just covered in old cars and trucks. It was just awful. It was just this terrible hillside. And I thought, well, that's awesome. And uh, so I bought it. And uh, at the time, gosh, it was like... 2005 or 2006 or something like that and I I'd paid the most per an acre and everyone was like ready to kill me and I was like it's cheap because I just moved from a really expensive place and I'm like there's you know like if if land was this cheap where I was I, I might have stayed and bought my own place and and just quit the job and, and done my own thing but so yeah I bought this place and I'd looked at Pinot Noir for you know every day and for five months in New Zealand and we had had uh, Pinot Noir at the winery as well and when they first planted the vineyards in the Okanagan they didn't know what to grow where based on on the weather so everything was just sort of you know they'd put a couple blocks of everything in, in each location just to see what would work and so I kind of determined that this would work and so I did a Pinot Noir and I make with that I do a sparkling rosé wine and then uh, with the apples I do the vinegar and I make a hard cider and I put that in kegs, cans and and bottles and 750 ml wine bottles and it's all sparkling and uh, then this year last week I just did up uh, a rosé wine spritzer and put that into 250 mil cans. Arlene, I, I think we need a uh, fact-finding <laughs> field trip yeah. out to Dave's place. Yeah, I think so. This yeah, sounds like something trip, we yeah. could get behind. Yeah. So I do that. Um, I make wine with the with the grapes. Um, and then that's all I do with the grapes is I just make like a sparkling rosé about 11% into wine bottles and then I did this year for the first time yeah about eight and a half percent alcohol into uh, 250 milliliter cans I don't know what that is in, 
in ounces, but it's the small skinny cans. Because we have dumb laws here where you, if you put wine in a can, it has to be a single serving. Well, who are you they to judge what a bottle. single serving is? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah straw yeah, in the cap of the whole bottle. I did serving. make that mistake in the States once, thinking like I bought a can of wine and didn't realize it wasn't a Canadian version. It was like, well, yeah. I drank the can, and it was like, two, yeah, two and a half serving. That is a bit different. Yeah, yeah so yeah, single serving. And we have this rule, too, in BC that, because um, I'm considered a line, a land-based wine and cidery, so you need a certain number of acres planted to apples if you're going to do cider, and a certain number planted to grapes if you're going to do grapes. And then there's a certain amount of volume you have to produce each year as well. Based Is that to be considered local? Is that kind of so, what those rules are about in terms of, of using the actual property for the product that you're selling? Yeah. And for different okay, sure, and different tax yeah. rates on uh, federal federal excise. So it's a land based license instead of a commercial license. But once you get your commercial license, you can buy wine from anywhere in the right, world, right? Yeah, and package it. So then you pay a higher tax rate, but that's sure. So how many acres of your first. vineyard and orchard, like, do you actually own? I mm -hmm. just have 10 at my place and then I leave a little bit just on the same road for, for apples because, well, apples are easy to grow and I can get a large volume of juice out of a fairly small amount of uh, acres for apples. and I don't thin the apples, I just grow them for, for juice production which will turn into cider or vinegar at the end of the year depending on, on what's needed. But uh, no, it's it's getting harder and harder to, to find land to lease just as more people are planting these high producing cherry orchards with high high volume and, and, and huge cash turnovers that they're willing to sure. pay a higher price. So are you also then managing a storefront at your location or where do you actually market your product? Um no storefront on Saturday. So in your spare time. Where we're at. So <laughs> yeah, that's here. That's my, my Saturday mornings. I, I uh, do the farmer's market. And so that's, yeah, that's my free time. And then I get home yeah. from the market and start farming. So I'll do, I'll do that now until whatever the last Saturday is. Any mail order or is that not an option yet? But, it's there is, but it's it's tough, right? Because once you pay the shipping on it, it's worth more. Yeah, than, that's right. Than what you pay I'm just on I'm just thinking for myself, especially if somebody. Yeah, I'm just like it's like someone wants to order a case of wine and it's in twelve seven hundred fifty mil bottles, right? It's like forty pounds by the time you pay. <laughs> yeah, that's that right. I could just fly to BC. You've really spent. Yeah. But no storefront yet. That's in the works. Um, it's a lot of yeah. uh, regulations on it because in British Columbia we have the Agricultural Land Reserve, and so we refer to that as the ALR. 
And if your land's classified to be in the ALR, you have a whole bunch of restrictions and you can't take it in or out of this designation. And so if it's designated agriculture, there's certain things you got to follow and you can only have certain size buildings based on your acreage and parking lots and everything else, which... You know, it, it makes sense, and you can't subdivide it off. Like, if you had a 40-acre parcel, you couldn't cut it down into 10s or into 4s or, or anything because they don't want a ton of houses going up in it. But it also is like, okay, yeah, build a tasting room. But then they're like, yeah, you could almost put half of this under pavement for a tasting room and parking where it's like, but just let me subdivide it, so I'll put a house on it and... And carry on, right? Mm -hmm. Like they won't take up the same footprint, but so it's just funny like that. And and a lot of the places, you know, are, are putting in these tasting rooms and stuff, and it's like prime, prime land that's suitable for growing like some of the world's best cherries and peaches and, and grapes, but there's no problem putting pavement on it. And then there's other spots where it's like Washington, where you can have a tasting room just downtown on Main Street, and you're and there's you're not you're not changing the footprint of anything. The location's already there, but they won't let us. Oh, do that. okay. So there's yeah, there's based. yeah, that's a whole separate set of rules. That's yeah, a whole that makes other a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole other. Discussion we won't go into on, trying understand to trying to understand the <laughs> government. That's uh, not something that any of us can tackle for sure. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. And then I do cider, so I just sort of do plain ciders. I don't do any fancy flavors. I just take apples and press them and ferment them and then stick them into kegs or bottles or cans. <laughs> yeah. There's more. I, it sounds more like you're downplaying it. That's the, that's the gist of it. I prefer to think yeah. that it really is that simple. <laughs> yeah. You know. I wish it's like it when was. people tell you, you know, when you meet folks at parties and they say, when I retire, I'm going to farm. <laughs> oh okay cool uh, <laughs> and, and and it seems like it's like a an interesting thing it's like people now that are you know opening these wineries and vineyards or cherry orchards and stuff they've at least on the west coast here area they've made a fortune somewhere else and they're just turning it into something I mean they don't necessarily farm it themselves, but they, they get into the into the business and it's just you know, they're they're kinda of diluting the land values and they're pushing everyone else out, right? That is would love to get into it for the right reasons. Right and, and actually yeah, the have the have the skills and the, the experience. Today, yeah. Today I'm gonna Today I'm going to start a winery and they just go out and they spend a hundred million bucks and you're standing there going, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm trying to buy one more tank. <laughs> so Dave, what products have you tried that didn't work out? I love hearing about other oh, people's man. failures and mistakes. <laughs> Makes you me feel better. about everyone else's misery. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Tell me about your crazy cows and stuff um, that blew up. That's what I want to hear. Well, I'm just trying to think, you know, like right now I've, just this last week, we got our new order of cheese smokies in from the newsletter, <laughs> but there's no cheese. Just smokies. With that. 
Yeah, just Smokies without the cheese. And they're like, well, we charged you for the cheese. <laughs> it I'm appears like, to be yeah, missing. I saw that. <laughs> but everyone said, yeah, there's, it's missing. Um, there's been like even just, there's been the odd, you know, batch of cider where it's just not turned out, but it was fine when it went into the keg or into the bottle. And then it gets to a customer and they're like, this isn't working. And then it's like, you know, you're just, you feel kind of crushed to a certain degree. And then it's like, well, how do you recover from this? And then for the alcohol, it's really hard. Like, uh, cause I'm so far away from the main wine area that if I want to dispose of it, I got to pay a government agent to come out and watch me pour it down the drain. <laughs> so I just set it aside. I just, and then I'll be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, and agent. I just turn it into yeah. the vinegar, Call, right? But yeah. Like, but it's just really hard. You're like, you're you're you've already lost money on it not being able to go to market. Now they want you to pay to have someone come and watch you destroy it when it's already kind of destroyed. Like, so that that's tough. You know, we I don't do a whole lot of finished products, just besides the alcohol and the vinegar. Do a little bit of um, like garlic. Uh, powder and and that's for at home and then at work we started doing uh black garlic i don't know if you guys are familiar with that but it's fermented kind of goes in a rice cooker and you set it for a temperature and a certain number of days and and that seems to be going really well it's it's almost priced like gold it's about uh 90 a pound when we sell it and so we do a cloves and we do a, a black garlic powder with that as well and, and that seems to be really popular with the restaurants and, and so forth and i'm finding too that even on the on the beef side of stuff the um the processed all natural kind of beef um like sausages and smokies and, and hamburger patties are super popular and i thought you know like by the time you price them out they're they're really pricey but but they seem to, to sell quite well. And I guess too, on the beef side, we're, we're fortunate. Um, we, the community owns a hot springs resort. And so we can get lots of our, our beef in, into that, into their restaurant at the resort. So when customers come, they can order, you know, a nice prime rib or, or something like that, or they'll have a big night where they do up a massive prime rib and it's got the bone sticking out and everyone's impressed mm -hmm. and it's like but it's part yeah. of the experience and that that real you know it's locally produced thing yeah yeah that's right and we own the resort and we own the cows and these potatoes mm -hmm. came from the farm and so did the carrots kind of deal and and here you are thank you for supporting us and but it is beautiful if you guys yes. do come out. The, well, add it, add it, add it to our, uh, our list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, to your so, tour. Yeah. <laughs> I was just over here trying to, sorry, Arlene, I was trying to work out a way that you could have a uh, private label of all the booze that isn't fit to drink and just sell it to teenagers and stupid <laughs> we're, people. We're a parenting podcast. It you know, <laughs> sounds like a really terrible kind of thing. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's frowned that's, upon. I think it's frowned That's upon. the part I was getting to, Arlene. I mean, I I was about to say it doesn't feel like a great move <laughs> yeah. as a parent. 
but I meant like 19 year olds, not like marketing. Yes, the middle teens, sure. Yeah, they're they're drinking Boone's Farm and Mad Dog anyway. They're not going to know the difference. I used to drink Boone's because it was cheap. See, now when you were talking about you know being a teenager drinking, I was picturing that all your friends would be drinking Boone's Farm and you'd have your uh, (laughs) your fancy Pinot Noir over there. You know, yeah, yeah. Saturday night. You know the ironic, the, yeah. The ironic part is, is I don't. Do so you have to get someone else to taste test? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I stopped. I guess. Yeah, I stopped. Mm-hmm. I think like 2015 or something like that. Yeah, just went cold turkey. And then I replaced <laughs> it with Pepsi, and I don't know what. Depends on the day, probably. So I feel like I kind of I wrote this question down a while ago, and yeah. I feel like I'm, I might kind of already know the answer that there is no such thing as, as balance. But I think especially for people who work in agriculture and someone like you who seems to be working all the hours of the day, do you are you trying to find some kind of balance in your life or is, is that one of those unattainable goals or, or what do you do to kind of keep yourself from burning out? I don't know. Um I was thinking about this, friends and I were talking and, you know, my last holiday was 2012 and I took four (laughs) days off and I went to Las Vegas (laughs) and everyone laughs at me and I'm like, yeah, that's where I went. And I I went down and and gambled and stuff and they're like, but four days? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I gamble every day. So this way it's, yeah, this way it's controlled and it was nice and I could sit by the pool if I wanted to or I could do whatever but it was four days away and I haven't had that that since and I think for me there's just so much to do that I don't know what else I would do because talking to a friend yesterday about it and they're like because the neighbors are you know wanting to buy because they've got unlimited funds and they said like what would you do and I said I'm not too sure and it's I would keep doing this but I don't know what I would do at the end of the day when this kind of finished you know at six or seven o'clock and I didn't have my own stuff to do because if I sell right I'd have to replace what I had and and the way land values are right now here you know I would be no further ahead like I could downsize but then I'm living in town with neighbors and and all that kind of junk and then it's but I'm not any further ahead and then if I'm at home I'm wrecking stuff in the backyard or or something like that or the (laughs) neighbors will hate me because I bring the tractors home and don't sell and they're just parked in the yard right and making a mess and looking horrible so so it's a real it's a mind bender I guess because all I know is 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 working and and I think that that's uh, it's a real struggle. It's uh, you know I, I love fishing and I, I didn't make it out once last year and it's not looking very positive right now either. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't say how I how I get to balance and I and I probably don't if you ask anyone that I, I just don't have it. You know, like if I take a day off from work it still ends up probably being a three-hour day yeah and then sometimes it feels like you take a day off and you have to work twice as hard the next day so what's what's the point right 
Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the phone doesn't yeah, stop. Yeah, I might as well just go in then. I'll stop what I'm doing that I took the day off for and I'll, I'll come and see you. And it just seems like, yeah, you take the day off to do your own thing and then all the cows are out. And then it's like, <laughs> someone planned this on me. Yeah. Like they, they didn't want me to enjoy my, my day off. And it's, um, yeah, but it, it is, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like I, I just had a friend and he sold a bunch of land too. And he still leases a whole bunch, but it, he's got all, he's got a fair bit of money now, but mm-hmm. he's still not enjoying it. Yeah. Which is exactly. tough, right? Because we're still pretty young. So I don't know, like it's, and I, I see it happening to a lot of people. They just work and work and work and I've got. You know, I've, I've grown up here, so I know lots of the, the older guys, too, and they're all still working, working, working. And, and then we talk, some of us younger guys, we're like, well, do you want to be like so-and-so? And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, and then just, we go. Just uh, 10 or 20 years well, we down the line. Yeah. We're, we're, we're just not that age. Yeah, we're, we're, we're 20 years behind them being those guys. and 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 so... What do you do, right? Like there has to be a point where you just say, I can't, I can't do anymore. Or mm-hmm. you just, you have to exit. And what does that exit look like? I guess is, is the thing. And it's, you know, I, I, I do mention it a lot, but like, it's just so expensive here. Not as bad as other places, but like where I am, where I farm, you know, you're looking at a minimum of yeah. 150,000 an acre. But if I'm going to do that, I yeah, yeah, that's right. Cause yeah, to, like you said, to replace what you have, you're just going to take the money that someone gave you and spend it somewhere else or, yeah. and maybe get less. And right. Then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And spend more. And spend more. Right. Cause you got to accommodate someone else too in a lot of these things. And and that's probably mm-hmm. my biggest thing is that I'm just not home. I, I don't see anyone really, you know, I can spend days just, yeah, being out with the cows or doing this or that or fixing this or that and staying up all hours canning stuff and bottling and yeah, yeah, that's but right. But if you don't do it, and then, then all the, the work done. wasn't wasn't worth it if you. Uh... But there is there is that fine. And I noticed in the U.S. there's a lot of those like uh, helplines and stuff like that. But I don't think we have them here. I'm not sure. Like I don't know if there's the phone numbers for people to call. Yeah, they are probably be there. a good idea to, for people to use them. But no, it's just. It's weird, like, I have a daughter, and we're not super close, but she's got all sorts of mm-hmm. issues and stuff like that, but just didn't see her. Yeah, it's hard to... That, I know, Go ahead, Katie. Dave, my, uh, sorry, Arlene, my kids are younger, they're five and six, and trying to teach them that work ethic and getting our work done on the farm, and my husband and I both work off farm, and, you know teaching them to work real hard but also teaching them to take a damn day off or you know and trying to model that for or them teaching them to read 
Yeah, teaching them to read too. <laughs> teaching them to do yeah. anything else. Just those little and things, it's, right? I got quite a lecture from my six-year-old this weekend because I sat down for I had a an idea about something I was working on for my work that actually makes money, unlike the farm. And uh, she yeah. gave me quite a lecture about how working <laughs> too much would make you boring. And I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but. You know, at the same time, this pays the bills, kids. So, you know, but it's it's tough, and you know, we wouldn't do what we did if we didn't love it too. And I think most farmers are kind of obsessive people by nature. We wouldn't do it and kind of taking that end run on yourself too to to take the time off when you can squeeze it, and you know, yeah, it helps. Like I used to find. Okay. It helps having the little ones to lecture you about how boring you're getting. Because, you know. Little... <laughs> well, I'm boring, all right. Now that I stopped drinking. I'm boring even <laughs> when I drink, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it is. It's super, it's super challenging. And even just, like, trying to find people to do stuff on weekends if you want. And, and the new workforce, they sort of want to tell you what they want to do, whereas growing up. The boss said, "This is when you're scheduled," and now they're like, "No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that needs and to I'm get like, done." No, this is really what I'm telling you. Like, this is this is how this is going to work, and and you got to say, you know, like, there's a relationship here between us, and you like that I pay you, and I like that you come to work, and so we got to figure this out. Because if you don't like that I pay you, you can go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, that dynamic because you need is, it. Uh, challenging for sure and then yeah if they if when the one the ones that don't show up (laughs) then that then you're the one who gets uh gets stuck doing it at the end (laughs) of the day all right so dave we're at our last question and we ask all of our guests if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair what would it be and you can make up your own category if you want Oh, the bad joke category. That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we need to hear one. How much time do you have? Promises, promises. Oh, I got all, all sorts of terrible one-liners that I use. <laughs> and uh, I just use them just because, like, I got a bunch of friends with smaller kids, and so you got to keep them entertained. But what's a, what's a farm one? Why do uh, cows have hooves? I don't know why. Because they lactose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. there we go. But yeah, that there's a prize winner. I would, yeah. <laughs> I would say the bad joke category at the county fair or fall fairs we have, or uh, I like growing pears. So mm-hmm. I. I, if I'm if I have time, I put pears in the fall fair, and that's what I, I I love pears. I just love their shape and their color and just how they're perfectly imperfect. I guess is <laughs> yeah. is how I like to describe them. And yeah, I just think they're they're yeah, that's my thing. So, 
Well, I'm going to go ahead. We'll move into our cussing and discussing segment. So this is where we can talk about anything from a minor pet peeve to major social issues. This is kind of our anything goes segment. So as always, listeners can send in their submissions on our speak pipe. You can go to the show notes to find the link to that or send us an email. Katie, do you have something that you're going to cuss and discuss this week? I was kind of joking when I thought about this for my cussing and discussing, but now I'm serious. I am so hungry after talking about steaks and locally raised vegetables and cherries and perry and this. <laughs> and you know Pears, what I'm going to have for lunch? Yeah. Some lame leftovers at the back of the fridge. I don't even know. I haven't looked yet to see what's yeah. left. But it's not, even, not that exciting. So, mm-hmm. Dave, what would you like to cuss and discuss this week? Oh, I'm probably going to cuss and discuss the weather probably for the next 10 days after Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> the humidity that's, that's the farmer thing the humidity do, right? and the disease if it starts raining and then i'll you know it's probably just going to be enough to just keep stuff down but not add any moisture and it's just going to be a, a drought and it's going to be a mildew probably filled drought just because of the way that the nighttime temperatures will do that so i'll probably be cussing spraying every five days depending on what what happens yeah that's a bad combination both humidity for the mildew but not enough moisture to actually benefit get some water in the ground all right so arlene what do you have to cuss and discuss well at the time that we're recording we are under a air advisory because of wildfires not in there's one kind of it's not super far away but most of it is just the way the cloud cover is the way the wind's blowing it's coming in from northern quebec and northern ontario but just the i mean like you can smell it you can almost taste it in the air and it just makes me think of all the people who are living in places where it's an immediate threat you know like all the people who are under evacuation orders and and places where this isn't every every season every year even sometimes multiple times a year situation that they have to deal with so yeah i'm just thinking about people who have to deal with this all the time for us this is not very frequent this is a you know kind of once in a while event and and we're you know knock on wood have never actually been at at risk of evacuation or anything but but for people who have to deal with this a lot it's i can just imagine the stress especially for farmers who you know it impacts livestock and crops and all those right. kinds of things and it's just not that easy to leave if you yeah, if you're in that position yeah it really is you know like they get evacuated and they got to leave their their animals behind and hope for the best yeah or yeah or the people who choose not to yeah. and have to deal with the consequences yeah. of that too so yeah yeah Far scary up. stuff So anyway, we want to thank you so much, Dave, for talking with us today. If people want to find more about the farm that you work on, the farm that you own, your uh, products that you're making, what kind of social media links should we share with people? I've got Facebook and Instagram for both. Okay. Do I know what they are at this point? I do not you know what we will we'll figure them out and we will put them in the show notes so people can just easily click on them i think we already yeah we we know where they are i think i might have sent them in earlier but i thought yes yeah that's where i'm at um yeah and then if people have questions they can reach out that would be great yeah we found you on instagram so we know that you're the one who responds to the the account if we send a message so it was great chatting with you today thank you now go eat your breakfast yeah, thanks Thank for you. talking to us, Dave.
Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.